inserts this morning are uh, not necessarily inserts for to take notes, but it's a, a reference for you to keep. Maybe stick it in your Bible, uh, highlight it, look at it. Uh, we're wrapping up our series on contagious calm, uh, be anxious for nothing. It was funny, I planned this series all the way back in February for something to do after Easter, and who would have figured that here we are? Uh, not who, but the Lord figured it out, that that's what we needed. And so we've been walking through Philippians chapter 4. Uh, you probably have had a few sleepless nights recently. There's something about the quiet when you go to bed that your mind goes into overdrive. And you can't sleep, concerns of coronavirus, concerns of uh, things that are happening in our society. Uh, or it could just be maybe you're starting a new job or uh, your boss says, I want to meet you in the morning and you don't know what it's about. Or you found a, a bump on your neck and you're for sure that it is something terrible. And the more you think about it, the more you realize you have to sleep. And the more you try to talk yourself into sleep, the wider awake you become. We've all had those nights where you just keep tossing and turning and every hour on the clock just seems to go by. What does all this anxiety mean? What does all this fear, what does all that restlessness mean? Well, here's what it means. You are human. That's exactly what it means. The National Center for Health Statistics just this morning or this weekend have reported that one-third of Americans have symptoms of anxiety or depression. Now, I can guarantee it's not the same third every day. It's a different third. And so if you have felt anxiety or depression, you are human and you know what it's like to live in the times where we find ourselves. It doesn't mean you're stupid. It doesn't mean you're a failure. It doesn't mean you're demon-possessed. It doesn't mean that your parents have failed you. It doesn't mean that you're failing as parents. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian if you have fear and anxiety and trepidations. Christians battle anxiety. Jesus battled anxiety. Look at Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 36. When Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Jesus experienced what? Anxiety. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will but as you will. Then he returned and he found the disciples sleeping and he was frustrated. And he said, couldn't you stay awake with me? Even his friends were not able to help him during this time. He went away a second time and then a third time. And each time Jesus felt anxious. But what did he do? He entrusted his fears to his heavenly father. And he said, here I am. I'm feeling anxious and I'm feeling overwhelmed. And so I'm going to give you this anxiety, father, not my will, but yours be done. And so there is a pathway out of this valley of anxiety, if that's where you have found yourself recently. And the pathway is in Philippians chapter four, verses four to eight, that we have unpacked over the last few weeks. There isn't probably a more inspirational or practical message on the topic of anxiety. Paul really gives us a decision tree a decision tree, if you've ever done one of these, you list your options and you put uh, yes if this happens and no if this happens. And if, what happens if yes? And you put it, and so it expands out. And so that's really what Paul does in Philippians chapter 4. He says, if you do this, this will happen. The decision tree. And Paul has this um, counsel to us as we find ourselves in these places of anxiety. Now listen, we already know the anxiety tree, right? The anxiety tree in our lives. The anxiety that causes us to have this tree that grows up of anxiety. So what do we do? We hang on to its branches as the winds of life howl and storm. And so in the Old Testament, 
the uh, people of uh, Israel were concerned, and so God sent the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah 7, verse 2 says this, They were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. That's when we hang on to this anxiety tree in our lives. And here's what God said to Isaiah to tell to the people, Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two stubs of firewood, because of these kings that were coming against you. Now, we know what the anxiety tree is like in our lives, but there's another tree that we can pick from. It's the tranquility tree. We can either have the anxiety tree in our lives or the tranquility tree in our lives. And Paul gives us how to do that. Instead of those uh, dry, broken down branches that will topple over in the wind, we can have a tree that will protect us from the heat and provide shade. It'll provide refreshment. It'll provide fruitfulness. And the choice is up to us. We can't choose a whole lot of things in life, but here's one thing we can choose, and it's our attitude, and it's what we choose to think about. The Bible reminds us over and over to take our thoughts captive. We are to be thinking people as we follow Jesus. So the acronym CALM is what we've walked through over the last few weeks, and I just want to revisit that again today to help bring some calm into our lives as we try to cling to this tranquility in the times in which we find ourselves. The very first thing is it begins with God, and we need to celebrate God's goodness. Philippians 4, 4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. It's almost as if Paul says, I'm going to tell you to rejoice, but in case you think I'm crazy, in case you didn't get what I was going to say, I'm going to tell you again. I want you to rejoice. Turn yourselves away from the problem, and for a few minutes, celebrate God. The more you stare at a problem, the bigger it gets. The more you think about a problem, the bigger it gets. Haven't you ever been there? Something happens in your life, and all of a sudden, you start to think of all the possibilities, and none of the possibilities are ever good. And it keeps growing and growing and growing and growing. But here's what Paul says. Rejoice in the Lord. I say it again, always. And the more you look at God the smaller your problem becomes. You introduce your problem to the God who rules the universe. That was the strategy of the psalmist. In Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2, we read this. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The psalmist says, I will lift up my eyes. Listen, the more we meditate on the mess, the more anxiety we will have. This isn't denial. This isn't pretending that there aren't things difficult that are happening, that there are not problems. But the more we meditate on the problems, the more we fix our eyes on those things, what happens is it starts to grow, and we gain nothing by setting our eyes on the problem and constantly thinking about it. We certainly won't gain sleep. We won't have those moments of at night where we are able to rest. But you gain everything by setting your eyes on the Lord. Isn't that the lesson that, Jesus, uh, that Peter learned on the stormy sea of Galilee? Remember the, the wind blew up? And uh, in Matthew 14, we read this. Peter said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. What an awesome moment. But do you know what the Bible says next? But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. What was the difference between Peter walking on the water and Peter sinking? It was where he had his focus. He took his eyes off of Jesus and he saw the wind. 
And so as we want some calm and uh, get rid of the anxiety in our life and to rest under that tranquility, we need to understand to get our eyes on to Jesus. If you are sinking and feel overwhelmed, it could be because you're looking at the wrong thing. We're focusing on the storm. So what are some things we can celebrate? God's goodness, even in the midst of difficult times, we can celebrate his sovereignty. Is God in control or not? Is God in charge or not? Yes, he is. And so I can celebrate his sovereignty. Listen, we are in a broken world since Genesis chapter 3. It's amazing if anything works right. We always focus on everything that's going wrong. But if you think about it, it's a wonder anything goes right. Because we live in a sinful, broken world that is under a curse until Jesus returns. There will be conflict and strife and catastrophe and trials and troubles and tribulations and sickness and death and hatred and injustice. All of that, thing, all of that will be here until Jesus returns. Because we live in this world that is, that is broken. But over that, we can still celebrate that God is sovereign. That he's one day going to have a say. Jesus is going to return. So we can celebrate God's sovereignty, that, that nothing happens where God goes, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> I'm not sure what to do about this. We can also celebrate God's mercy. God's mercy is enough to cover all of our sins. And we don't have to have any anxiety over our sin that we have committed because we know that Jesus' blood covers our sins. God's mercy is great enough to cover all of our sins. And so we celebrate God's goodness. And what is celebrating God's goodness? I can rejoice in the Lord and rejoice in him always. And, and Paul reminds us what? To rejoice in the Lord. I don't have to rejoice in the stuff. I don't have to rejoice in what's going on. But I can always rejoice in the Lord. He's always good. He's always sovereign. He's always merciful. He's always forgiving. He's all the things that we know him to be. So we face God before we face our problem. Then we can move to the A, and the A is what? Ask God for help. We ask God for help. Paul says in verse 6 of chapter 4 of Philippians, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Fear and anxiety either triggers despair or it triggers prayer. Our situations in life can cause us to either go to prayer or it can cause us to feel anxious and to fear, fearful. In Psalm 50, verse 15, God says this, Call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will honor me. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Listen, when anxiety knocks on the door of your life, you let Jesus answer the door. Don't you go get the door. You say, Jesus, this one's for you. And so we let him answer the door. We cast all of our burdens on him, all of our anxieties on him. And so the things that I think about or the things that I pray about will either increase my anxiety or will increase my tranquility. Matthew chapter 6, verse 11, Jesus said what? Give us this day our daily bread. We pray specifically for things that we need. And we look to God's promises and we pray based on his promises. And we stand on the firm foundation of God's covenant. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Are you in a time of need right now? I would say yes. And Hebrews reminds us we can stand firmly on, on the covenant of God that we have in Jesus. It's not about me, it's about Jesus. 
and I can go and I can stand. And the writer of Hebrews says, he will, he will, we will find grace to help us in our time of need. How do we find help in our time of need? We ask God for help. Isn't it funny? Like the last thing we do sometimes is ask God for help. We're like, oh my, the situation has gotten so bad. I think I need to pray about it. It's come to this. Instead of it being our first response, instead of it being the very first thing that we do, instead of being fretful, we are prayerful. Instead of being anxious, we are what? Prayerful. Instead of being fearful, we are prayerful. We ask God for help. That's what these valleys where we find ourselves at these times do. We ask God for help. Listen, we don't have to ask God for help when things are going well. We don't. When the bills are paid, my health is fine, and everything seems relatively peaceful, I don't need to ask God for help. But it's when the storms come, it's when the trials come, that's really when I start to ask God for help. So God works in those moments, and he works in those places in our life. And so we have this ability to ask God. What does he do? He says, I want you to come in every situation, in every situation. And so when I ask God for help, I celebrate God's goodness. And then the next thing I do is I leave my concerns with him. Let him take charge. Let him do what he is willing to do. Philippians 4, 7 says this, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What's your heart and your mind? It's that, it's that inner part of you. It's, it's that place that we want the peace. It's a place where we want to be free from our anxiety. And so Paul reminds us, you leave your concerns with him. Did you ever try to fix something and you couldn't fix it? Maybe your lawnmower is not working, so you have to take it into the shop. And so you decide to stay and help out the repairman fix your lawnmower. And so you're looking over his shoulder the whole time. And you're like, I don't know if that should go there. I'm not sure I would do it that way. And then you unroll your sleeping bag and you're just going to spend all your time there helping the repairman to do his job. Now, it's one thing if you're the customer, but some of you have been that repairman. It doesn't matter what it is. You could be under the sink and everybody in the household is giving you advice on how to change the plumbing. How does that go? (laughs) Not so well, does it? You're like, wait a minute, I know what I'm doing and you're trying to give me advice on how to fix this thing. But we do that with God all the time. We're always giving him advice. We're always telling him how he should do things. We're camping out so that we can keep an eye on him to make sure he is doing it correctly. But Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.12, I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. God doesn't need our help. He doesn't need our counsel. He doesn't need our assistance. He doesn't need our advice. He doesn't need our critiquing eye. God just needs our trust, and we let our concerns with him. I want you to repeat this phrase together with me. I hereby resign as the ruler of the universe. Ready? I hereby resign as ruler of the universe. Wow, isn't that freeing? Because we are fretful, and we are anxious, Most of our lives is spent trying to control other people. We try to control our kids. We try to control our spouses. We try to control our neighbors. We try to control our coworkers. We try, and the only person we really can control, we let go out of control. And that's me. And we want to step in and do God's job for him. You know, most fights and most disagreements that we would have could end if the one person would let God do the job in that other person's life. (laughs) And so I resign as the ruler of the universe. I can't control everything. 
Most things are out of my control. And the things I can't control, I don't have to fret and worry about because God will take care of it. Now, there are some things I can control. My attitude, my mouth, (laughs) my actions. Those are the things, those are the responsibilities God has given me. But I leave my concern with him. He is the ruler of the universe. He is the one who will give that peace because he is the one that's in charge. And so what we do is we replace our anxious thoughts with grateful thoughts because Paul reminds us we give everything by prayer and petition, what? With thanksgiving. God takes thanksgiving seriously. Gratitude keeps us focused on the presence, on the present. You know what ingratitude is? Ingratitude is we don't have something we want. Ingratitude is I didn't get what I want. Ingratitude is, uh, I deserve something and I don't have it. But here's what gratitude is. Gratitude is not, I wish, but gratitude is, I already have it. And I'm sure over the last few months, you have gone through the things in our lives that are, are meaningful and are blessings and that we're thankful for. Gratitude means, Lord, you have already done this. The most common word for worry in the Bible is a, is a compound word, is a verb and a noun that's put together. The verb is to divide, and the noun is mind. And so to be anxious or to be worried is to have a divided mind. Isn't that how worry works and anxiety works? We have this divided mind. This one thing that we know, but then there's another thing that we're feeling or that we're thinking, and they seem to go in different directions, and that creates this anxiety and this worry. And so a divided mind will make us fretful and fearful and upset. How do we bring it back? We bring it back with gratitude. We bring it back with, with uh, uh, focusing on God and leaving our concerns with him. Uh, worry will divide our thoughts. It will divide our energy. It will divide our focus. Have you ever been worried about something and you're with someone else and they won't shut up? You're like, please, I'm, you don't understand what I'm going through. And I just wish you would be quiet because my mind is somewhere else. It's a divided mind. We're with someone, but we're not with them. Our mind is somewhere else. And we understand that feeling. And so when we leave our concerns with God, it brings our mind back together. That's why uh, Paul says, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. What does peace do? Peace brings two factions that are at odds with each other back together. God's peace brings what? Our divided mind back together. The worry that has come in and separated our focus and our energy and our time and our attention. God's peace, what? He melds those and brings them back together. There's lots of things we can worry about. We worry about our past, what we said or what we did. We worry about the future, tomorrow's troubles. And so anxiety takes our attention off the right now, and it either makes our attention go to the past or our attention to go to the future. Think about much of our worry is probably based on the future more so than the past, but the past also causes anxiety. But we're worried about what tomorrow's going to bring, what's going to happen. And so when we leave our concerns with God, our divided mind is my body is in today, but my mind is in tomorrow or my mind is in the past. And that causes anxiety and it causes worry. And so that peace that God gives us, he brings me back together so I can focus on today. Jesus said what? Give us this day our daily bread. We don't say, Lord, I would like a year's supply of bread today. Why doesn't God give us that? Because then tomorrow we'd be like, whew, I have nothing I need to pray about. I am good for 364 more days. I got bread to last me the entire year. 
And God says, I want you to pray for your daily bread. Why? That keeps you close to me. That keeps, I'm, I'm not filling up your cupboards because I want you to stay close to me. You pray and you, you look for that daily bread in your life. And so this anxiety takes our attention away from today and it, it, it directs it either to the future or to the, fa- or to the past. And so when we are focused on the right things, when our mind is, is united and we, and we have all this energy we're expending in worry and fret, then we can use our mind for some good things. That's the M in calm. We meditate on good things. It's the song we sang. It's the verse that was up before we started, Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Where our mind focuses, what we feed our mind will help to inform our emotions. It will, it will either feed our fear and our anxiety or it will strengthen us and give us that peace that God has promised to give us. Don't let anxious, negative thoughts take over your mind. We've used this phrase a couple times, but we, we, we tend to catastrophize everything. It's not that, it's not that something's going to go an inch. We're automatically having it go a mile. Our human minds tend to think the worst of everything. It's, we, we catastrophize everything. It's not just, oh no, I found a lump on my shoulder. It's like, I got cancer, I'm going to be dead in two days. And if we're honest, we tend to do that. With whatever it is, it goes from zero to 100 miles per hour in six seconds. That's what our minds do to us. That's why we have to constantly be pulling them back. That's why we constantly have to be mindful and mindful of what we think about. You can't control the circumstances in your life, but you can control what you think about them. Life gives us lemons. It really does. Life gives lemons to good people. Life gives lemons to bad people. Life gives lemons to young people. Life gives lemons to old people. Life gives lemons to all people. Life comes with lemons. So you need to suck it up and think about the right things. We don't have to suck on the lemons, but we can think about the things that Paul reminds us to think about. Max Lucado wrote this resolve today. Today, I will live today. Yesterday is past. Tomorrow is not yet. I am left with today. So today, I will live today. Relive yesterday? No. I will learn from it. I will seek mercy for it. I will take joy in it, but I won't live in it. The sun has set on yesterday. The sun has yet to rise on tomorrow. Worry about the future? To what gain? It deserves a glance, nothing more. I can't change tomorrow until tomorrow. Today, I will live today. I will face today's challenges with today's strength. I will dance today's waltz with today's music. I will celebrate today's opportunities with today's hope today. All we are given is now. This is it. And that just went past. <laughs> We're three, five, ten seconds beyond where I just said now. And all we have is now. Oops, there it goes. We just have now. This is all we got. And so Paul reminds us an anxiety filled life is one where we're always focusing on tomorrow. We're always focusing on the past, but we're not really in the present, in the moment, in today. And so that's why he says that we need to fix our thoughts and fix where we think. 
Um, social media is a cesspool. It is the most horrible thing that has ever been created. And if, we, if, if Twitter and Facebook would shut down today, this world would be a much better place. But we aren't going to shut it down because we love the cesspool. We love jumping in. We love stirring it up. And we love coming out. And we just, we just love it. Why? Because we deal with this flesh. We deal with this stuff. Most of it doesn't pass the filter of true and honorable and noble and right and lovely and admirable and praiseworthy. When is the last time you scrolled through your uh, social media and you felt better? When's the last time you scrolled through and you got angry? You got upset? And you're like, I can't believe somebody posted that. (laughs) I can't believe they're saying that. Because it doesn't pass the test. True, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. And we love to feed on it somehow. And then we wonder why we're anxious. We wonder why we're we're fretful. We wonder why we're fearful. It's because we're thinking on the things that God tells us not to think about. The person that I have to challenge myself with, with anxiety, is always me. It's what I think about. It's it's where my thoughts go. It's, It's where my attention goes. There is, there is very little in this world that's going to feed this in your life to offer peace and offer uh, a tranquil life and to get rid of anxiety. Very little. We live in this, this broken world that is not working like it was designed. And so there's very little in this world. But we can find those things. Paul says, wherever you see something that's, that's true or noble or right or admirable, you think about that. It could be... A, a, a wonderful sunset. You see folks post pictures of sunset sometimes. It's like, yes, there it is. That's true. That's, no, that's great. It could be your favorite piece of music or, or some art. It could just be getting outside. There are things that are good and noble and right in this world, but doesn't it seem like we really have to look for them? The things that are always in our face are the opposite of that. And so Paul says, you were really on a scavenger hunt in your life. You're really on a mission on your life to meditate on good things. Because if I only meditate on the things that are wrong, pretty soon that's, that's my view of life. That's my view of everything. There are, there are good things in your life. Some of them are seated next to you right now. There are good things in your life. You have a pulse right now. None of you has fallen over yet. That's a good thing. We're breathing, even though we have to breathe through these masks, right? We're breathing. And so there are things that we can think about. And if we meditate on those things, what's going to happen to our anxiety? It's going to go down. What's going to happen to our tranquility? It's going to go. It's going to grow. So I need to, to meditate on good things. Can you imagine a life where you'll worry less and you'll fret less and you'll have less anxiety? Where you, a life where you'll have reduced fear and an enhanced faith? Uh, can you imagine a life where you're not anxious for anything? You can have it. Paul says it's possible God can help us, and we can experience it. But the choice is always up to us. The choice is up to us whether we're going to celebrate God's goodness. We're going to ask for his help, right? We're going to let our concerns with him, or we're going to meditate on good things. All those are what? Action words, and those are all things that who does? We do. We do. So if you want a, a life of, of more anxiety, of less anxiety, and, and of, less, of less fear, it's where I put my energy and my focus you know, a hurricane 
is a storm that has winds above 74 miles per hour. There's rain and thunder and lightning. They can be very fierce storms and oftentimes can exceed, you know, 100 miles an hour and they do much damage. But you know what the fascinating thing about the hurricane is? Right in the center of the hurricane is an eye. And oftentimes during hurricane season, they'll be like, the eye wall is hitting, is, is coming ashore. And what's in the eye? Blue sky. There's birds flying. There's no rain. The sun's shining. Right? There's this eye in the middle of the hurricane. And God, in this, this broken world where hurricanes swirl, there's a great object lesson for us that right in the middle of, of the storm is what? It's the eye. There's a, there's a calm and there's a peace. And there's a place where we don't have this anxiety as long as we stay in the eye. With the Lord as the center of our life, there is this peace that passes understanding. And Paul says that. And we're, and we're like, there's no way that I'm going to have this peace. Look at what's going on. Paul says, I told you you wouldn't understand it. I told you, you wouldn't understand if you try to think about it. But if you stay with the Lord as the center, there's this eye where there's this calm and there's this place. But Jesus has got to be at the center. It's the calm in the eye. And in the eye, he keeps his eye on us. Psalm 121 verses 3 and 4 says this, He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The psalmist says that God's watching over you and he doesn't fall asleep. Throughout Isaiah and the Psalms, they're always, they're always contrasting their living God with idols. Idols are nothing. They're mute. They can't do anything. They can't save. And the psalmist wants to remind us that the Lord is the one who doesn't sleep. He doesn't get tired. But what does he do? He watches over us. Do you know what true calm is? True calm is Jesus. It's simply Jesus. Jesus is known as what? The Prince of Peace. And peace in the Bible was this feeling of well-being. It was a feeling of security. It was, a peace, it was a feeling of prosperity. It was a feeling of God's presence among his people. And so in the Old Covenant, it was, it, or the Old Testament, it was linked with God's presence among his people. It was God's gift. It was conditional in the Old Testament upon their obedience to God. There's often times where they didn't experience peace. But in the New Testament, this longed-for peace has come in a person, has come in Jesus. And so now, in the New Testament, we experience this peace through faith in Jesus. But he's not a God who isn't alive. He is a God who rose again from the dead. And so peace is Christ who's alive, living in me. That's the me in the eye of the storm because Jesus is in me. In John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I don't give you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. You see, the peace that Jesus gives is, is uh, qualitatively different than the peace that the world tries to give. And Jesus says, I will give you my peace. How does he do that? He lives inside of us. The next couple days after he talked to the twelve as they had the Last Supper were going to be quite traumatic. They would run away from Jesus. He would be led away and killed on the cross. He was beaten and crucified. And the joy that they had would be dashed at the crucifixion. But he rose again from the dead. And there road ahead in their lives. If you think about what happened to the twelve, Jesus said, my peace I give to you. 
So Jesus was crucified. He's resurrected. Yay! Then he ascended. Where did he go? (laughs) And then he sends the Holy Spirit back to live in us. The peace, the eye of the storm is now in us through God's abiding presence in our lives. But what happened to those apostles who Jesus said, my peace I give you? They all died a, a, a very difficult death, except for John, who was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. You say, well, Jesus, that kind of seems like a setup. You said, my peace I'm going to give you. And these guys are like, yay, we got it made. Woo. And their life was hard. And it was one of persecution, and it was one of torture, and it was one of death. And Jesus says, yeah. That's how it is when you follow me. But in the middle of that, I'm giving you peace, a peace that the world doesn't understand. Paul says, we don't even, it transcends our understanding. It's the peace that Jesus continues to offer all of his followers. We have the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Romans 14 Paul says this, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness. You know what the next word is? Peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Because in the midst of the storms of life, in the eye of the storm, Jesus is in us. And these momentary trials that Paul talks about in Romans 8, these momentary trials are bearable because of the promises that they bring. We have a a deposit in us, the Holy Spirit, who is guaranteeing our inheritance. This world isn't our inheritance. And if we're trying to make this world our inheritance, if we're trying to make this world heaven, if we're trying to make this world something that it can't be and can't deliver, we are going to be sorely disappointed. We are going to be anxious. We are going to be fearful. We are going to be fretful. We are going to be all the things. But when Jesus is in me, Christ alive, living in me, that brings a calm. Have you ever had anybody say that to you? You seem so calm. How do you do that? Jesus. Wait a minute. Why aren't you upset? Why are you not, why are you not just rolling over? Jesus. You see, the eye of the storm is that place where we can remain when we trust Jesus. You say, well, that sounds too simple. That sounds too good to be true. It's true. And it could be too good, but that's what grace is. It's too good. (laughs) We don't deserve it. We're given to it as a gift. Would you lift your eyes up to the hills? Our help comes from where? Jesus, the maker of heaven and earth. We have many foes in this life. We have have many uh, wars out and in in this life. We have storms in this life. We have troubles in this life. We have chaos in this life. And all those things are confronted by Jesus through whom we can stand our ground. Would you like more peace and less anxiety? We lift our eyes to Jesus. We focus on him. We're going to sing uh, just a kind of a song as a dedication or as a commitment. Where does my help come from? My help doesn't come from the world. My help doesn't come from the things the world has to offer. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Would you please stand?
we're going to pray, and we're just going to sing a declaration that even through the war, the storm, the troubles, the chaos, and the foe, that we have this Savior who always is with us, who always meets our deepest needs. Father, help us to lift up our eyes. Father, we are well aware of all the troubles. Father, we don't ignore them. We don't pretend they don't exist. We need to deal with things. But God, in, the, in those moments and in those troubles, we can feel overwhelmed and so full of anxiety. But God, in the midst of that storm, we have Jesus. So these next few moments, as we just have opportunity to just to commit, to lift our eyes up, to get a breath, to get some relief, to, to, even though we feel like we're sinking, is once again to not look at the wind and the waves, but to look to Jesus. Over these next few moments, would you fill us with that peace that passes all understanding? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.